How many of you believe that? Tell your neighbor, I believe that. You may be seated. Turn to the book of John chapter 10. We're going to be reading there tonight and talking about continually living the abundant life. Now, those of you that are part of this church, you've heard this scripture used a lot. John chapter 10, verse 10. We're going to read it in just a moment. God wants us to have and live the abundant life in every area. Our finances, uh, our spiritual makeup, our spiritual DNA. He wants us happy and joyful all the time. He wants the peace of God prevailing in our hearts. He wants us to accomplish great and mighty exploits. He has great things in store for us. Can you say amen to that? Turn to your neighbor and say, he's got great things in store for you. We have a visitor here tonight that I just want to tell you the story, how he got here, because it was really fascinating. I just heard about it. Don Holt, is that correct? Did I, did I say it right? Don, is, just wave your hand so they'll know who you are. Don's right back here. Didn't mean to embarrass him, but on the third row there. He moved into an apartment, found a CD in the apartment, and listened to it. Was it me or my wife preaching? Was it me? Okay, who said me, your wife? You weren't even there. Was she there? She wasn't there. I was preaching. Obviously, it was a good message. You showed up here in church. God can get him any way he wants into the church. Let's give the Lord a hand. We are glad Don is here. I thought that was really, uh, really a powerful testimony. Found a CD in the apartment. But in John chapter 10, verse 10, and many of you, again, part of this church, you're, you're familiar with this scripture. But it says, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that you may have life and that you may have it. How? More abundantly. How many of you believe it is the will of God that you have the abundant life? Can I see your hands? Now, how many of you believe that God can give you the abundant life? Does the abundant life that you have have anything to do with your checkbook? Does it have anything to do with the situations and circumstances in your life? It is an established fact based on the covenant. So therefore, we should look like, act like, talk like, and walk like we have the abundant life. Can you say amen to that? Tell your neighbor, I have the abundant life. Now, you may go home tonight, and you may see your checkbook overdrawn. Have we ever overdrawn our checkbook? I would be the first one to raise my hand. You look at that book, say, it can't be overdrawn. There are more checks in there. Hallelujah. But we've got to get to the point when we believe what the Word of God says, and we're not moved by what we see. And people, when you reach this point, people will think you are weird because you'll be going through things, and they'll look at you like, why are you so happy? Because I have the joy of the Lord. But don't you know how bad things are? Not in my world, they're not bad because I have abundance. Now, you have heard me sharing from time to time some message on the end time. Recently, I did a message on wake up, stand up, speak up, and act up. We are at a crossroads in this nation, and we have challenges. But no matter what happens in the world, no matter what happens in America, my God's going to take care of me. Can you say amen to that? Tell your neighbor, my God's going to take care of me. I sure hope our employment situation changes. I sure hope America gets out of debt. I sure hope we get conservative men and women of God who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and will not compromise because of popular beliefs and stand upon the word of God and get into elected offices. If they do, we rejoice. If they don't, we rejoice because the joy of the Lord is... The joy of the Lord is... And many people are moved by situations and circumstances in their life. Because if things don't go the way you 
plan for them to go, then you have a situation in your life when sometimes you can get a little bit down. But it doesn't help to get down. We should be up all the time. You should look like you have joy. Act like you have joy. Check out your neighbor right now. See if they got any joy. And if they don't, tell them, you need to let that joy flow out of you. Now, if you're not here, I mean, if you're here, <laughs> you are here. If you're, if you're here... And you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You like that, didn't you, Melba? <clears throat> if you're not, if you're here, <laughs> and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you don't have that joy. You can fake it, and you can try to get it churned up or something, but it's not in you. But before this service is over, we're going to give you a chance to receive Jesus. But the word abundant, and again, if you've been here in this church, you, you've seen this definition before. But the word abundant that Jesus is talking about is superabundance, excessive, overflowing, more than enough, extraordinary. Now, this would be a great chance to say hallelujah or something when we get done. Over and above, more than sufficient. Glory to God, that's what we have, folks. Can you get excited about that? Now, there isn't a single one of you that isn't going through something. Let me see the hands of all of you that are going through something. Doesn't something always happen? Turn to your neighbor and say, there will always be a something. There will always be a something. Don't get your eye on the something. Get your eye on the answer to the something, which is Jesus Christ. And we are blessed coming. We are blessed going. We're the head, not the tail. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Glory to God. We should be the most excited people on the face of the earth. Now, yeah, exactly. Go ahead. Do it. Shout. Whatever. And now, I don't like a dull church. I think you people should be shouting all of the time. They should be excited about the Word of God. They hear the Word. They get excited. Now, you do have enemies. You know you have enemies? It's not your in-laws, your outlaws, and all the rest of those people. You have basically two enemies. And I'm going to tell you who they are right now. Are you ready to find out who your enemies are? Because a lot of people have been pointing at the wrong people regarding who their enemies are. You have two enemies that are going to be against you for the rest of your life. And if you don't stand against them, you will be up and down like a yo-yo. Number one, it's the devil. Let's all say it. I knew that. The devil hates you. He wants to kill. He wants to steal. He wants to destroy. He will never stop. At this moment, the devil is either attacking you or he's planning his next attack. Now, thank you for that that horrible looking face I see on you right now. He's, he's, he's attacking you. Now, if you understand the Word of God, you don't mind a good fight. Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't mind a good fight. Only one definition of a good fight. You win. You never saw a boxer somewhere got all beat up and said, oh, that was really a good fight. No, no, that was not a good fight if he lost. The only good fight is the fight that you win. And we've won this fight, but we have to continue the race and fight the fight of faith that God has given us. And we have the victory. Let's all say, I have the victory. But the devil is after you, and he is attacking right now, or he is planning his next attack. That cycle will never, ever change. Tell your neighbor, get ready, it'll never change. That will never change. Now, how many of you knew what I just told you already? That just confirmed what you already knew. Now, here's the second enemy that you have constantly in your life. It is your unrenewed mind. And I've done this before, but we have visitors tonight. So if you visitors especially, and this is for our church too, if you're not sure where your mind is, it's right here. So everybody point to your mind and say, my mind. My mind. 
unrenewed is my enemy. How many of you found that to be true? You can call it an unrenewed mind. You can call it a carnal mind. You can call it whatever you want. But nothing that you do and nothing that you respond to happens without it going through your mind. Everything goes through your mind. That's why it's so brilliant sometimes. And that's why sometimes it seems like a cesspool. Because everything is going through your mind. And what you do with that mind determines whether or not you're going to walk in this abundant life that God has for you. Let's all say, I'm planning to walk in this abundant life. Now, we know that the devil is going to attack. We know we have the abundant life. We know that our mind has to be renewed. Otherwise, the enemy comes against us in every area of our life. I heard this shared many years ago, and I'm sure over the last 20 or years or so, or so in this church, I've, I probably shared it. But I was in a meeting one time in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and this is really going back several years. But Jimmy Baker, how many of you remember Jimmy Baker and Jimmy Swaggered? And they, they fell. There was just some really bad things that happened to those two guys. And I personally believe both of them started out serving God, but they just got a little bit messed up in their mind. The devil had no power in their life other than what they gave them through their mind. And that their mind began to think things that it shouldn't think. And then they began to act out on those things. And during that period of time when they both fell and their ministries fell with them, money began to dry up with a tele-evangelist. And there were many people, Oral Roberts and Kenneth Copeland and others, that were holding a big charismatic conference in the Maybe Center at Tulsa, Oklahoma. This one particular night, that it was the only night really I believe that I, I went, Fred Price was speaking. Now, Fred Price is one of the guys that I just dearly love. How many of you know who Fred Price is? Crenshaw Christian Center out in, Tul in uh, uh, California. I've always just loved Fred Price and the things that he gets by with saying. Hallelujah. But he is, he is quite a radical, not radical, he's just quite an emotional guy that really speaks the Word of God. He was sharing that night, but before he came up to speak, Kenneth Copeland shared, Carlton Pearson shared, uh, at one time had a huge church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and had entertained some things that he shouldn't in his mind, and other people, and Oral Roberts shared, and Richard Roberts shared, and there were several named people there. And they basically were word of faith preachers and men of faith, and they shared that, man, it had been difficult that year. And it had been difficult because of the notoriety of Jim Baker and of Jimmy Swaggart and other things that had happened in the body of Christ. And that it had been a difficult year. And then they introduced the guest speaker. Now, this is probably one of the pillars in, in the Word of God and the Word of Faith movement, Oral Roberts, introducing Fred Price. And Fred Price came up, and he took that podium, and he said, You know, I've never been invited to one of these events before. And I will probably never be invited back when I finish tonight. But I do have a word for all of you. And he turned to Carlton Pearson sitting on the front row and he said, Carlton, you said it's really been hard. And then you said Jesus said it wouldn't be easy. That's contrary to Scripture, Carlton. I felt like shrinking, and I wasn't even involved. I was back about 20 rows. He said, that's contrary to Scripture. Jesus said, my yoke is easy. And he turned to Oral Roberts and all the rest of those mighty generals, 
and said, you all are wrong. We walk by faith and not by sight. And he proceeded to say, it doesn't matter how many people fall. Our God is still the same. It doesn't matter what happens in the body of Christ to other people. It does not change our covenant with Almighty God. Can you say amen to that? You could have heard a pin drop in that place, and it was carpeted. You could just, it was absolute silence. And then he proceeded to preach the message of faith. Are you going to live the word of God? Are you going to walk by faith? Are you going to wimp around and whine around because what happened to you? Are you going to be a man of God? Turn to your neighbor and say, Pam, will be back. I believe this is a good message for all of us. Will you take a hit now and then from the devil? You better believe it. Will you take a hit from your unrenewed mind? How many of you have done some of the dumbest things you've ever done through the thought life of your mind? You did it and you said, I can't believe I did it. You did it. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you did it. Don't blame it on the devil. Don't blame it on your husband, your wife, your kids. Don't blame it on whatever. Just take, take, take admission of it. I did it. I thought the wrong thought and I did the wrong thing. When you get to that point in your life, you are not going to be moved by what you see. Now, the key to all of this, I believe, is in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. This is when Jesus was tempted by the devil. In Matthew 4, 4, it said that he basically said this, Man should live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. If we're going to live that kind of life, we're going to have to study and study and study what does the word of God say. Now, I know... It's not like I've been in the ministry a long time, but I've been in the ministry for about 30 years, 35 years. I can't believe how many people never listen to what they say. Because if they listen to what they say, they would never say what they said. Because they're saying things that are contrary to the Word of God. Just like when Carlton turned to Bishop or to uh, 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 Pearson, or what did I say his name? Carlton, Carlton Pearson. When he turned to him and he said, you said G Jesus never said it would be easy. Carlton, that's not scriptural. He said it is easy. It's easy if you're living the word of God, but it's hard if you're not living the word of God. So you have to open your mind up to be renewed. What does the word of God say about this? Now, I know we joke about this a lot in this church. Don't go to Pastor Bill. He's a lousy counselor. Personally, I think I'm a good counselor. I think I'm a great counselor. Every time somebody comes to me, I say to them, what does the Word of God say? What is the Holy Spirit saying? And what are you doing about it? And inevitably, I'm talking about believers. I'm not talking about unbelievers, somebody that just got saved. And inevitably, they'll say, well, the Word of God says that I should be doing this, and I believe the Holy Spirit showed me that I should do this. Well, what are you doing? Well, I don't want to do that. Duh, could that be part of your problem? Turn to your neighbor and say, yes, it could be. And tell them it could be part of yours too. If you don't do what the Word of God says, if you're not led by the Holy Spirit, then you wonder what is wrong with my life. Why do I suffer from what Zig Ziglar says? Why do I suffer from stinking thinking? It's because you think the wrong thing. When you think and meditate the Word of God, you, and we'll cover the Scripture later, you become prosperous and successful. Is there any way that, or any time that we should never meditate the Word of God? No way. Now, Matthew 4, 4, we just said it, that man should live by, uh, uh, by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You say amen to that? Then when you study Matthew 4, 4, <clears throat> you'll see that the devil eventually left Jesus. What was he doing? He was attacking Jesus 
the same place he attacks you in your mind. Every attack that the devil is going to launch or has launched is in your mind because he wants to plant a seed of a thought. Right back to Genesis chapter 3. If he can plant the seed of the thought, and if you'll take the seed, then you'll eventually meditate the seed. In Luke chapter 4, excuse me, and I believe it's verse number 13, it's the same story of Jesus being led into the wilderness and then coming out of the wilderness after he withstood the devil trying to attack him. And Luke chapter 4 verse 13, it says it a little bit differently when it ends because in Matthew it says that the devil just left. But in Luke chapter 4 13, I believe this is exactly the way it was. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from Jesus until a more opportune time. How many of you standing here tonight? I can honestly tell you, I feel no attack from the devil, none whatsoever in my life. So that means to me, he is planning his next attack. Mm, I'm ready. Hallelujah. I'm ready for his next attack because I know my covenant. Everybody say, I'm ready too. But how many of you right now feel like, no, I'm not, I'm not thinking about the next attack. I'm under attack. Let me, let me see your hands. Okay, now, you've got to stand strong because you're either standing against the devil in the attack or you're getting fortified for the next attack. Can you all say amen to that? So, in other words, fortify yourself when you're not under attack, but when you're under attack, oh, you've got to be living that word. You don't have any room for error at all because the attack is on. And what happens then is that we realize he's either attacking us or he's regrouping for the next attack to come back at a more opportune time. What is a more opportune time in your life? When you drop your guard. When your mind is not activated and renewed to the Word of God. And he knows your mind. The devil is always toying with your mind. He knows the state of your mind. Turn to your neighbor and ask him, what is the state of your mind? Let's hope. Let's hope it is strong. Now, your key to victory, I have preached this. I have preached this for 30, 40 years. Your key to victory, it's never changed. God gave it to me. He said, don't you ever stop preaching it. Number one, you got to live the Word of God. That's what I say. I have to live the Word of God. Moments you stop living the Word of God, you are going to get into air. Your mind's going to stray on you, and you're opening the door to the devil, and he will come in, and he will fill that, that void, which is really what it is. Number two, you've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. You have to have a relationship cultivated with the Holy Spirit so that you know you're living the Word of God, and you're being led by the Holy Spirit. How many of you would like to be in the perfect will of God? Three-fourths of you. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask it one more time. How many of you would like to be in the perfect will of God? I just described the perfect will of God to you. It's all you have to know. It's all you have to do. Am I living the word of God? Am I being led by the Holy Spirit? If you are, you are in the perfect will of God in your life. Your mind is renewed. You are in the perfect will of God. And God is giving you abundance for everything that he's called you to do. Let's say amen to that. Now, it's just that simple. Now, what we have to understand here is that just as the abundant life is a covenant that we have, Adam and Eve had the same covenant. And Adam and Eve had the abundant life. They had everything, everything. They didn't have to work. They could name anything they wanted to name. God gave them the Garden of Eden where every precious item was there except one thing and one thing only. How many of you have ever had just one thing that you know you shouldn't do? 
You can raise your hand because I'm not going to trap you on this one. How many of you have ever been told just one thing you knew you shouldn't do? You knew that you knew that you knew you shouldn't do it. Can I see your hands? Now, you don't have to raise your hands anymore on this question. So you don't raise your hand. Everybody say, I'm not going to raise my hand. But ask yourself, how many of you did it anyway? You knew that you knew that you knew you shouldn't do it. Everything was crying out. The Holy Spirit was showing you. It's contrary to the Word of God, and what happened? We did it anyway because we have a carnal nature. This is not a bad confession, but when you are not meditating the Word of God, you have a carnal nature in your mind, and it can happen just like that. You've heard me share this over the years. The average mind thinks 20,000, 30,000 thoughts a day. You may be less. You may be more. I'm convinced women are more, but that's okay. I've said that from the very beginning. I don't mean that as a put down. Some people have a more active mind. Pam, if she were here, she'd say his mind doesn't think much at all. <laughs> she, would, she would say that to you, but her mind thinks continually. I believe it's in the DNA. I really do. Now, that's not a bad thing. One is not good and one is not bad, but anybody who thinks more thoughts than another person is going to have to be a little sharper at analyzing their thought life. Am I thinking the right thing? Because if you're averaging 20, 30,000 thoughts a day, you may have a whole lot more than somebody like me that maybe is only thinking five or 10,000. I would rather pick the Word of God and meditate that all day long than all the junk that's out there. And you know you can self-medicate by meditating the Word of God. You can meditate anything you want, whenever you want, and that is exactly what was told by Joshua. But let me show you here how this works. In Genesis chapter 3, the devil is brilliant, I believe, at what he does. But he is always the same. He comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. What is he coming to kill, steal, and to destroy? I believe he's coming to steal the word of God from you. Matthew 4 talks about, or Mark chapter 4 talks about that. That the devil always comes after the word. Why is he after the word? The word is the power in your life. The word fuels your faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So he's trying to pull the word out of you. And he's trying to torment you in the area of, of your mind. But he can't just come up and do that and say, God's not real. He doesn't do that. Genesis chapter 3, when he came to the Garden of Eden, he came to Eve and he said, did God really say that? He'll get you to question the things of God. He'll get you to question the things of the church. Well, why do we have green chairs? Why don't we have blue chairs? Why are they reserved on the front row? Who do they think they are? Who do you think is planting that thought in your mind? It's not your neighbor. That's the devil. Who is it that's trying to get you to do the very thing you know you're not supposed to do? As a matter of fact, if you aren't knowingly acknowledging that there are thoughts coming into your mind that you shouldn't do, you are mesmerized by this world. Because in my life, how many of you have some thoughts that you know are not from God? Can I see your hands? How many of you have some thoughts you hope we never find out you had? <laughs> Thank you for only a few hands that ruin up. Liar, liar, pants on fire. We have to get to the point when we acknowledge and understand that we are always going to be under attack or the attack is getting ready to come. I can honestly tell you there are sometimes a thought will go through my mind. It's like, wow, where did that, where did that thought come from? 
I didn't think that thought. The devil is throwing fiery darts at you continually when he attacks. And in Genesis chapter 3, Eve entertained the thought that the enemy brought forth. And she began to dialogue with the devil instead of commanding the devil. And then Adam ended up joining her, and they lost all of the blessings that God had for them. All of the abundant life, they were lost totally. Now, in 1 Peter chapter 5, if you have your Bible, you can turn over there. This is a scripture that I believe just, just sums up what I have shared with you about the devil. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, it says that you need to be sober, uh, 5 verse 8, that you need to be sober, which means self-controlled, you need to be vigilant, means you need to be watchful, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy. Now, right now, the next attack is either being planned or you're under attack. He's always seeking whom he may destroy. What is he looking for? Usually, if I'm sharing something like this, I use Brad. He's sitting right here, but we'll just use his wife tonight. Sandy did her first funeral as a minister today. Give the Lord a hand. Heard she did a great job. He's coming in the area of your mind, and he's trying to see what's in there. And he, and he comes and he looks at Sandy and says, oh, strong. Oh, God, full of the Word of God. I don't want to mess with her. And then he comes down, and he's just peeking around here and Oh, Mike's been busy all day long. He hasn't meditated the Word of God, and I can get in here and play around just a little bit. And yeah, I think he'll. I think he'll dialogue with me right now. And you know, yeah, she could. She could have handled things a whole lot better, couldn't she? And all of a sudden, you're starting to believe a lie, but it sounds like it's pretty close. Well, yeah, she. She you know, Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Then you get glory over here. And, she sits on the end row, and, and yeah, you know, you, you know, Clyde, you know, he's a little, yeah, I understand, yeah, 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 and all of a sudden the thought comes in here, and now we can all laugh at this and at this, but can I see the hands of all the people this applies to? This is exactly how the, the devil works. And, and if you're not onto his ways and the schemes that he has, then you will fall prey. I've fallen prey to the devil. I have taken thoughts I shouldn't have taken. And all of a sudden, the, later on, realized, oh, why did I take that thought? And then between then and, and, and the capturing of the thought and the getting rid of it, there's a lot of damage that can be done, emotional damage. And all of us have had that happen. Now, James 4, 7 is, I believe, one of the most powerful scriptures in the Word of God. It says, submit to God... Resist the devil, and he will submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will How does he flee? As we live the Word of God, we meditate the Word of God, and we're led by the Holy Spirit, the devil will flee. Now, he left Jesus only to come back at a more opportune time. The devil is going to flee from you when you live the Word of God, led by the Holy Spirit, and he's going to flee. And then he's going to regroup, and he's going to come back at a more opportune time. Turn to your neighbor and say, your opportune time is coming. And how you handle it will determine by whether or not you see him flee again or whether he stays and makes a home in your mind. Can you say amen to that? 
How many of you believe that sequence that I just described is the sequence that you live? I believe we all do. I really do. He's either coming or he's going. But either way, we are going to have to stand against the things of the devil. Now, the good news is, everybody says there's always good news. The good news is that God has given us the victory. And in the book of um, uh, Matthew chapter 16, if you want to turn over there, we are not of this world. In this world, it says we'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. We are not of this world. We have the victory. And in Matthew chapter 16, it's the story of Jesus asking, who do men say that I am? And it's all summed up in verse number 19. But, but the, he, was, he was trying to get the disciples to think about this. Of course, Peter came up with it right, a, right away and said, you're the son of God. And, and Jesus responded and said that flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, but my father who's in heaven. And then in verse number 19, this is what Jesus said that is, is so profound. I will give you, talking about the church, I will give you the keys, which always signify authority. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Who was that authority given to? You and me. Tell your neighbor, we have the authority. We have the authority, we have the power, we have the dominion through the name of Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the word of God, through the leading of the Holy Spirit. We are a force to be reckoned with. But it is all subject to where your mind is and what your obedience is. Because it says that, the, that submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Submission to God is what we do when we live the word, and are led by the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, the power of God belongs to us. That power is ours by the covenant. It's a spiritual power that only comes through the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And once you turn over to Galatians chapter 5, because this is such a powerful scripture also, how many of you have found out, as I have found out, unless you're studying the end times, and I love to study the end times, but unless you're studying the end times, how many of you found out the Word of God is pretty simple? It's really pretty simple. That's what I say. It's pretty simple. When we make that confession, I, I believe that is so simple and so true. If we live the Word of God, we'll be blessed. If we don't, we won't. And what happens is, then we get to the point and we realize that, okay, the Word of God is spirit. When you were born, you were a two-part being. You had a soul, your mind, and you had your flesh. Your flesh was no good then, and your flesh is no good now. So everybody said, my flesh is no good. Your mind was not renewed to the things of God, and your spirit man was dead. But when Jesus came into your life, your spirit man was born again. So then you become a spirit being, and you then have the ability through feeding yourself the Word of God and renewing your mind to walk in the Spirit so that the power of the Holy Spirit would be manifest upon you and that in everything that you do, you would walk in the realm of the Spirit. When we walk in the realm of the Spirit, and you are walking with the mind of Christ. You look different, talk different, act different. The joy of the Lord is your strength, the peace, the love, the joy, the long-suffering. How many of you like that long-suffering stuff? Glory to God. It's right there. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Self-control, temperance, all of those things. Do you know you don't need more self-control if you're here today and a born-again believer? 
you have all you're ever going to get. Tell your neighbor, if you know Jesus, you have all the self-control you're ever going to get. And what it is is a yielding. That's the last fruit of the Holy Spirit, self-control. We have it. Every once in a while, somebody says, I just need more self-control in my life. And I'll say, no, you don't. And they think, boy, he just doesn't care about me at all, does he? No, I do care about you, but you're not going to get any more than you already have. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, you've got all you're going to get. Now, you're going to get revelation, and you're going to get more understanding, but everything you need, you already have. Let me see the hands of all the people. You know if you die tonight, you're going to heaven. Can I see your hands? Then let's all say, I have all I'm ever going to get. You got it all. You got the whole package. Jesus lives within your heart. Power of the Holy Spirit lives within you. Now you just have to find out what is it I have. And when you find it out, you'll wonder where you've been all your life. Will you not? I've done that myself. I spent most of my life not even knowing some of this stuff. Verse number 24 of Galatians chapter 5. And those who are Christ, now those of you who raise your hands, let's all say, that's me. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Now, who crucifies your fleshly desires and your fleshly passions that have to come through your mind? That's pretty weak, folks. Let's all say, I do. We do that ourselves. Now, a lot of people try to blame it on their flesh, and they say, well, it's my flesh. My flesh is acting up on me. Your flesh will always act up on you. Your flesh cannot act without your mind being in agreement. Your arm just can't do something. Somebody came to me one time. By the way, if you smoke, no condemnation, okay? Somebody came to me one day, and they said, I just can't stop smoking. I said, oh, would you pray for me? And I said, I take care of that right now. You'll never have to smoke again. Really? Nope. You never have smoke again. How are we going to do that? You are never going to buy another cigarette, and I'm going to throw away all your cigarettes. <gasps> oh, I don't know about that. No. If you never put another cigarette in your fingers, and if you never put it up to your mouth, you'll never smoke again. They looked at me like, duh. Now, I don't know if they ever stopped or not, but folks, we have self-control. Tell your neighbor, I have self-control. You know, if you've got something here that's bearing down on your life, I remember when God told me to stop drinking beer. I got saved. You, most of you heard the story. We got a lot of visitors. But <clears throat> before I got saved, I drank a lot of Coors beer, and I ate a lot of popcorn. I got saved, and I continued to drink a lot of Coors beer and eat a lot of popcorn. And I enjoyed both of them. I still enjoy popcorn. But I finally heard the Lord say one day, I want you to stop drinking beer. Okay, I'll do that. I had read the fruit of the Spirit. I knew I had self-control. I knew I'd made a mess out of my life, but I knew I had self-control now. And so I just stopped drinking beer. And finally, I, and I shared that one time in the service, and a lady came up after the service, and she said, I bet you're so glad you got delivered from drinking that awful tasting stuff. I said, honey, I never thought that was awful tasting. <laughs> and if God didn't tell me to stop, I'd probably still be drinking a few. I, I never gave up Coors because it was awful tasting. I always enjoyed it. But it was because God showed me, and I wanted to go on with God. Now, is there anything wrong with drinking beer? No, unless God told you to stop. And then you've got a problem because now you're going crosswise with God. And that was this gentleman about the cigarette issue. And I said, I don't have a problem with you smoking. He says, you don't? He was really happy. He was like, the pastor doesn't have a problem with me smoking. I said, no, I don't have a problem. I said, but has God told you to stop? Yeah. 
you got a problem. Your problem is not me. God knows more about you than I do. And if you're doing things that God told you not to do, the devil is in control of your life. Now you've got a big problem. You've got a lot bigger problem than your pastor. We've got to get to the point when we want the things of God in our life and when we're not going to give the enemy a place. And that's how we walk with all of this abundance that we have. I, I personally believe, and I know it's true for me, I, I personally believe that sometimes I believe God, he loves us. God never stops loving us. Turn to your neighbor and say, thank God for that. He never stops loving us. But I do believe that sometimes he must turn to Jesus at his right hand, shake his head and say, how could they screw that up so badly? It is so simple what we've told them to do. And I'm sure Jesus says, well, I was there, Dad. I, I know it's a big temptation. So I'm just going to intercede for him. I'm going to pray for him because it's really that simple. Now, your entire life up to this point in time is what I'm about to tell you. It is as follows. And the rest of your life will be like this. Number one, your thoughts. Number two, your words. And number three, your actions. Everybody say it. Thoughts, words, actions. That is the sum total of your life. Now you might say, well, things happened to me. You processed it as a thought. Yeah, but bad things happen to me. You process it as a thought. This is not a doom and gloom message. Bad things happen. How you process the thought will determine your words. It will determine your actions. Your thought produces words, either of the Holy Spirit or of a carnal world. And whatever thought you allow to dominate your mind will be the thought that you begin to act out, you will speak it out, and you will eventually move toward that thought. It, it will never change. Everybody say, it'll never change. So therefore, we need to reach the point in our life when we make a decision, how am I going to live my life, and what am I going to think, and how am I going to do it? Once you turn to the book of uh, Joshua, chapter 1, it's one of the most powerful, every scripture of God is powerful, but I believe this is one of the most powerful scriptures in the Word of God. I remember when I was first saved, and I heard somebody preach this scripture, and I think, wow, that is really powerful. And I'm, I'm going to sum it up for you, but in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, verse 8 basically says this, <clears throat> Joshua has just been picked by God to be promoted. And, 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 and God speaks to Joshua, and he says, if you will meditate the word of God day and night, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. So what he's saying is, Joshua, if you will think on the Word of God, you will have good success. All you have to do is meditate that. Now, who is in charge of what you meditate? It's a little, little light. This is not a trick question. I am known for trick questions. But who is in charge of what you think? Tell your neighbor, I'm in charge. So you have this choice. God showed me this a long time ago, and, and I had a friend of mine confirm it to me one time when I was just talking to him about some situations in my own life. And he said, you know, Bill, it has to reach the point when you determine for yourself what you're going to think. And you don't allow a situation or a circumstance to waver you away from the things of God. You can think anything you want whenever you want. If you will think for yourself, you can meditate the Word of God all day long, all day, all night. 
all day long, no matter what happens. Something happens, you meditate the Word of God over that situation. If you don't meditate the Word of God yourself, then you will have a force that you don't know for sure meditate it for you. And your mind will think with you or without you. Can I see all the hands of the people who say, my mind thinks with or without my input? What happens is, your thought life comes from the fiery darts of the devil, and hopefully by a stage of our life as we get older in the Lord, we recognize it. Whoa, that is a thought from the devil. But your thought life also comes from your carnality. You will never outdistance the ability of your mind to be carnal. There is a part of your mind that if you will go there, it is a memory bank, and you've got carnality in there. How many of you know what I'm talking about? This is not a biggie, but I'm telling you, every time Pam and I go to Longboat Key, I love Florida. I love heat. I love the sand. I love just to hang around to do nothing. And I love seeing that great big cold icy Coors beer come to that table next to me and think there is nobody from this church around if I could just get rid of my wife, I could down that sucker and nothing flat. I still have those thoughts. Now, don't look at me so pious. How many of you got some thoughts that come? Oh, boy, we need another church. No, Pam will be back. But, but I, I feel those thoughts. Every, now, listen to this. Every sin that you have ever been involved with, you know what it was. For me, temptation for Coors. Some people have a temptation for drugs. I have no temptation for drugs. Guess why there's absolutely no temptation for drugs in my life? I never did drugs. I would have if somebody probably brought them to me because I was doing everything else, but I never did drugs. So there's no temptation. The things that you have been exposed to are temptations in your life. And the devil walks about as a roaring lion. He's not coming up to Sandy. Sorry, Sandy, but Brad's not here. He's not coming up to Sandy and say, I want you to jump out of an airplane. I think she'd be pretty strong in that area. But there's probably some other areas that she could be more vulnerable if she wanted to go there and entertain that thought. So we throw the devil out because we have been given the authority, the power, and the dominion. Can you say amen to that? So Joshua was told in, in 1.8, to meditate the word of God, you make your way prosperous, successful. Then in verse 9, have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Is God with you wherever you go? Turn to your neighbor and say, God is always with us. Oh, can we get excited about that? It doesn't matter where we go. God is with us. Now, yeah, give the Lord a hand. He never, ever leaves us. My father, my earthly father, and my mother. Now, I realize that when I share things like this, this doesn't play well with some people. I remember years ago sharing something like this, and after the service, some people came up and said, I didn't have a father like you. I didn't have a mother like you. I've had people say, I didn't even have a father and mother. I don't even know who they were. And so, so I understand that it doesn't really work with all people. But my mom and dad would give me anything that I wanted if they could afford it. And if they couldn't afford it, they would say, Bill, you can't have this. I'm talking about as a child. Uh, you can't have this. We can't afford it, but we can get this for you or we can get that for you. And I understood that, and, and that was fine. But if it was within their grasp, 
no matter what I would want, they would try to get that for me. Do we have a better heavenly father than our earthly parents? My earthly parents were wonderful, but my heavenly father has got a whole lot more. Can you say amen to that? Now, I want you to look at John chapter 16. We're going to close with this scripture because this scripture is so powerful. Everywhere that I go, I, I'm sure I've missed it sometimes, but very seldom. I, I carry this prayer journal with me. And I'll hear this thought. I'll feel this thing. I, I just, I, sometimes I'm not even sure what it is, but I know it lines up with the Word of God, and it just feels right. And I open this thing up, and I start writing in that, and I'll write the things that God showed me. And, and all of a sudden, it just starts to energize my spirit because this is what the Holy Spirit is speaking to me. Thank God for the written Word of God. It is spirit. And it is truth. And it has liberated all of us. But he's not done talking. Tell your neighbor, he's not done talking. He's not done talking to you. He will tell you how to handle the next attack. He will tell you how to fortify. He knows about the next attack before it comes. And he'll tell you how to fortify yourself. And we don't get paranoid. We don't just sit around waiting on the devil to attack. We're on the offensive. We are going to attack and move forth and take what God has and take back for the kingdom of God what he has because we have the power to bind and to loose. Can you say amen? Now look at John chapter 16, verse 13. This is so powerful. However, I want to go slow so you get these words deep within your spirit. Jesus says, however, when the spirit of truth has come, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. In other words, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal to you what's coming in your life. God will never withhold from you what he wants you to know. Tell your neighbor, God will never withhold what he wants you to know. He will never withhold. When people say they haven't heard from God, it's like, no, that's not true. You've heard from God. You may need to go back to what you heard that you're not doing, but you have heard from God. God speaks to all of his people. And in verse number 14, he will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. I want you to hear that again. He will glorify me, and he will take what Jesus had on this earth, and what will he do with it? He will declare it to you. The power, the authority, and the dominion that Jesus walked with who does it belong to now? Let's say it belongs to me. So we should look like, act like, talk like, and walk like Jesus walked because we have that power. And then in verse number 15, all things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What do we have? We have the same power, dominion, and authority that Jesus had when he walked on this earth. Let's stand to our feet. We hope you've been encouraged, strengthened, and challenged in your walk with Jesus. If you need prayer for situations in your life, we encourage you to email us at prayer at victorylafayette.org or call our offices at 765-447-7777. If you desire to make Jesus the Lord of your life, or if you've drifted away from the relationship you once had, I encourage you to pray this prayer with me today. Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. 
I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. Today, I confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I receive the forgiveness for all my sins. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you come into my life and empower me to live a victorious life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.